This is Health Matters with Sipla. Hey everybody, this is Health Matters brought to you by Sipla. I'm Ryan O'Connor and oh my god, our favorite gastroenterologist is back. So good might be the word, but I don't know what it is. Thankfully, we have the help from the best experts on in the world in actual fact. Uh, Professor Sechedi is back, the head of medical gastroenterology at Hrutsky Hospital. Prof, so nice to have you back with us. Oh my goodness, Ryan. <laughs> it's fantastic to see you again and thank you so much for having me. And also it's a privilege really to be yeah. able to talk about this topic, which it I think is, is super important. Very important now. Oh, good. Let's just start there. What is good? So, you know, the question is so simple and the economy is so simple. It actually belies what a complicated condition it is. Right. So GERD is an acronym for gastroesophageal reflux disease. The Americans spell esophagus with an E, right. so that's GERD. But Got the South you. Africans, we follow a British system, so we spell the esophagus with an O. Oh, so right. GERD and GORD are basically gird, gird, gird. the same thing. Okay. And basically it means that when you have reflux or flow back of gastric or stomach contents yes. back into the esophagus. Got you. And that's not normal. Okay. Especially if it goes on, over a long time or it's chronic or repeated or recurrent. I have a feeling that everyone's experienced this sometime in their life. I'm like, you know, you're saying this and I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast right now has had good happen to them in their lives. So what are the typical symptoms? I mean, as you say coming up, you can, all, I can almost feel it. It's like having that one thing that doesn't agree with me, uh, having an, and it's particular food. It's, it's for some people, it's like a, a typical food or a certain food triggers GERD for them. But what are those typical symptoms? Yeah. So as you rightly say, GERD or reflux is actually what you get when you overindulge. Sure. So it can happen normally. Okay. As long as it's infrequent, you know, and doesn't happen repeatedly. Got you. It becomes GERD, the disease, when it's over chronic, you know, period of time. And Got typically you. we say if you're having symptoms about twice a week or more. Okay. For more than two weeks, then then you probably have GERD, the disease. Okay. Now the typical symptoms are heartburn. Yes. And then regurgitation. Okay. So heartburn patients will tell you that they have a feeling of a burning sensation. Yes. Just here at the top of the abdomen, yes. just under the rib cage. Yes. Sometimes that feeling is is experienced just in the chest. Right. They sometimes will say that they wake up with a bitter or sour taste in the mouth. Right. So those are the, that's heartburn, right? Okay. Regurgitation is a sensation of food or liquid coming up into the esophagus. And again, that is sometimes described as bitter or sour or whatever. So those two are typical and patients sometimes have both of them, but sometimes they may have one or the other. Got you. And then you have other sort of, um, uh, symptoms, very vague, like abdominal pain, abdominal distension, gas, belching, um, bloatedness, you know, sometimes patients say, you know, they feel full, right. quicker, et cetera, et cetera. And then there are other symptoms that are associated with GERD, but that are not typical. Okay. So you may have an asthmatic patient who's otherwise very well controlled, but they tell you that their symptoms are worse, particularly at night, and they start wheezing. Okay. That could be reflux. Okay. All the way up. Right. All right. Sore throat, hoarseness of the voice. Um, it can even erode the dentition. Yes. So you can get halitosis and dental caries, yes. right? Earache and even chest pain. You don't uncommonly have somebody present to ER yeah. with what they think is a heart attack. Got you. And actually, it's good. Jeez. Yeah. So, it, so it's a very, oh, it's a wow. wide sort of symptomatology. The typical things would be heartburn and regurgitation. Okay. Now, the heartburn and indigestion. I mean, what is the difference between those two? And when do they become good? They're never good. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, people tend to use the terms interchangeably, right? So yes, people will yes. say dyspepsia, GERD, reflux, yes. heartburn yes. are the same thing. But actually, they're a little bit nuanced, right? Right. So heartburn is a symptom of GERD, the disease. Okay. Right. Reflux is the reason why you have GERD. Got you. And typically, you reflux acid, but also sometimes non-acid material. Okay. And that is what causes the GERD. Indigestion okay. is a general term for I have pain, I ate too much, I yeah. feel uncomfortable, yeah. I feel nauseous, I want to vomit, like full whatever. Yeah. That is indigestion. So yeah, it's sort yeah. of a broad term that captures yes. everything that makes you uncomfortable, particularly after having eaten something. Now you've mentioned that. Are those the same triggers that trigger heartburn? Yes. So those are the same triggers uh, of heartburn. So, you know, we never discussed why you get heartburn at all, right? Sure. So the body has got mechanisms to prevent gastric acid okay. from going up into the esophagus. Got you. Because the lining of the esophagus is not adept at handling acid okay. because then it starts to erode the lining and yes. causes inflammation and ulcers. Yes. Right. And then at the bottom of the esophagus, so just the distalmost part, you have a sphincter. Okay. So the muscle acts like a valve right. that shuts the esophagus closed to okay. prevent gastric acid from refluxing up. The only time it opens is when you're eating. So when you eat and you swallow, the food goes down. Then the sphincter opens, food gets into the stomach, and, and then it closes shut. Yeah. Now, when that mechanism is dysfunctional, and there are other mechanisms, that is what causes chronic reflux. So the triggers are certain foods... They reduce the competence of the LES, yeah. that sphincter that I'm talking yes, about. Yes. And that's fatty foods, spicy oh, yeah. foods, yeah. Um, large meals, um, carbonated drinks, uh, alcohol. Alcohol. Because I was going to say that alcohol. a lot of people have, and they go, oh, I can't drink red wine. It gives me, uh, but, but I mean, red wine is acidic. So, Precisely. I mean, it's going to change the, uh, you know, it's going to, there's going to be some kind of a clashing going down. Hence why you're going to have, you know, some kind of, 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 of heartburn or, or reflux. Absolutely. So it directly reduces the tone of the LES, right? Smoking. Wow. Right? Yes, smoking, weight gain, being pregnant, being on certain medications, stress. And also you probably have heard of hiatus hernia. Yes. Right. So hiatus hernia is when the top part of the stomach herniates through the diaphragm. Wow. So then it's in the chest cavity. So that means then that your lower esophageal sphincter is not going to function well. No. Right? Because the, the diaphragm helps to keep it pinched. Correct. Yeah. So when you have hiatus hernia, that again is also a big factor uh, that contributes to reflux. Prof, it's, it's, it's now we're talking about lifestyle stuff that could, could be possible triggers. Uh, I find that on the odd occasion, especially if I'm, if I've overindulged mm -hmm. a bit, uh, and then the, the, it's, and it's not normally when I've overindulged, say for example, I've had a bit of alcohol. It's the next night when we're trying to get everything settled down. I've got to take some kind of a job. Uh, after I've eaten um, or I've had a meal for supper just to almost go, hey, hey, settle down, settle down. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> why Why is it that I is, – is that for that reason, just to kind of get normality, is, is that kind of gel that I'm using, is that is that a normal go-to for a lot of people? So that's actually the best description about the stomach settling down. Right. So the gel actually forms a layer on top of the stomach contents. Okay. So it prevents them refluxing up. And in the event that there should be reflux, it reduces the exposure of the acid to the esophagus. So that works very, very well. It forms a thick gel layer, which really does settle the stomach contents yes, down. It and does. prevents the, it actually works and it works fast. Yeah. So that's advantage of these uh, suspensions. Yeah. They work relatively very quickly. So you get very quick relief. Because it's amazing how, how it feels like someone's stabbing you in your gut until you have one. And then all of a sudden there's calm. But I mean, good overall can be treated. That's the, uh, you know, it's, it's treatable. I mean, the beauty of this condition is that it's largely very, very readily treatable. Yeah. 
if it goes on prolonged, etc., you can have complications. Got you. So you might have good with the exposure with the, uh, some symptoms Got and if you. it's treated, no problem. Yeah. If it goes on, then the symptoms can cause inflammation and ulceration. Okay. And then when inflammation heals, right, it heals with scar tissue formation. Ah. And then you get contraction of the scar. So then you can get obstructive symptoms. So patients then who tell you that they have pain swallowing or difficulty swallowing, Swall- yes. people losing weight, Got you. people vomiting blood yes. or even passing blood per rectum. Yes. Those could be symptoms then that there's something more serious. So that would be okay. complications of, of the good. Okay. Right. And then you have a condition called Barrett's esophagus. I don't know if you've heard about it. No. So it's in people who have chronic reflux and then that is a pre-malignant condition. So if it's untreated, the cells of the lower esophageal sphincter can actually change the DNA at molecular level and then become malignant over time. Jesus, so those patients we want to catch us, and treat over time. So Fortunately, how, the yeah. rate of uh, progression to malignancy is quite it's low. Quite, okay, so it can be it can be caught. It can be caught, but when you do have Barrett's, it's very high risk uh, for adenocarcinoma of the of the esophagus. Okay, now let's talk about PPI and suspensions. What's the difference? So. Suspensions come in the form of alginates, which is like the gel acid that yes, you mentioned, right? Yes. Which basically coats the stomach yes. and settles things down. I can thoroughly say they work. And I'm <laughs> sure if you've been there and done that, you know they work too. They work quickly. <laughs> and then you have antacids. So these are yes. medications that directly antagonize the acid. Okay. They also come in suspensions and they work best in suspensions. Sometimes they come as chewable tablets, right? Yes. And you don't need a liquid. Yeah. You just chew and they them. And they taste like nothing, actually. And they taste like, they actually taste like chalk. Like <laughs> They do. And then the weird thing is both you and I know how chalk tastes, (laughs) which is like weird. Which is very weird. Which is weird because, but I've always wanted, you know, just on a side note, when, 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 if you grew up where teachers used chalk, there was some part of your life where you wanted to taste what they tasted like. I'm just saying. I'm going to tell you another story, which is sort of offline. When you have anemia, severe yes. anemia, some people actually eat chalk. Oh, wow. And they can get through boxes of the stuff. No way. Yeah. But, but that's but another, another discussion for <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, But the reason they taste like chalk is because they, some of them contain calcium okay. and aluminium and magnesium. Okay. So that's why they taste like chalk. Right. And again, those work very well. Yes. Very good for sort of home remedies, over the counter. You don't need a prescription for that. You take them. The problem with them is that they're not really meant for long-term use. Okay. And they will quickly lose the effect. Yes. So these are the suspensions, the alginates and the antacids. Okay. And then you've got medications that reduce the gastric acid. Okay. Right. So the first group would be what we call histamine receptor blockers. Okay. So they produce, uh, they reduce the amount of histamine, which reduces how much uh, stomach acid is produced. And then the PPIs, which are the potent pump inhibitors. And again, for both of these, you can get them over the counter. Sometimes the strength is a little bit lower over mm. the counter. Okay. Uh, or if your symptoms are really severe and not responding to over the counter preparations, then you certainly need to see somebody who can give you a prescription. And then sometimes you can get higher doses then of the medication uh, with the prescription. And the thing about GERD, uh, Ryan, is that it's not that you produce too much acid. Mm. Is that the acid is in a place where it's not Should, supposed to be. Shouldn't be exactly. So when you reduce That's the gastric very interesting. acid. Yeah. Yeah. So when you reduce the gastric acid, it's so that in the event of reflux, right. that you're not that symptomatic yeah. because the pH is slightly higher, which is a good thing. Now, I mentioned the, the product, that the, the, the kind of gel that I use, because that is um, a, a good question. A lot of people start saying, and I know they go, well, we found something that works for me and somebody's got a solution that obviously works for them. Mm. But as somebody who's never possibly looked at, you know, trying to find a solution for, for reflux, um, what kind of products? You mentioned a couple of them. If I develop, for example, chronic reflux at a later stage, um, that's obviously a different medication to one for relief right now, Absolutely. temporary relief. Absolutely. So I really 
really have to stress lifestyle factors. Yes. So if you have occasional reflux, obviously you know what foods to eat, not to overeat, yes. reduce alcohol, yeah. stop smoking, um, lose weight. If you're pregnant, well, there isn't that much we can do. We can actually talk a bit uh, later about pregnancy. Because yes. um, that's a whole hormonal that's a change. Whole Hormonal change. Um, so lifestyle changes are really, really important, yes. right? Yeah. But if it's chronic, then you can start with the antacids and the alginates and the over-the-counter uh, H2 receptor blockers nice. yeah. and even over-the-counter PPIs. Got you. If your symptoms are really not improving, you yes. need to see somebody. Got you. Then you will get PPIs. And we're talking here about pentoprazole, uh, you know, omeprazole, lenzoprazole. Those ones are readily available. And there are three others in the market uh, in South Africa. Okay. Um, and those will work really well. And when you must go see a doctor is when you have those obstructive symptoms. You know, okay. the difficulty, pain, swallowing, the weight yes. loss, anemia, and, yes. and those conditions. Yeah. And if your symptoms are not improving, you definitely should see someone. Um, can you use medications together to get better or, or perhaps for longer relief? So early on, if the antacid is not working, you could combine it with the H2 receptor blocker. Got you. Um, when you are on a PPI, yeah. right, and particularly if you're on maximal doses and you're still getting breakthrough heartburn. Mm. Yes. You can also add an antacid at night. Hmm. It does reduce the frequency of their symptoms. But I mean, Prof, how many times do people think, listening to this right now, that they and they don't stop and make those lifestyle changes? They think by taking the medicine, it's going to actually make them better, so they continue to go through copious amounts of wine, thinking, "Well, listen, I've got the answer. It's in a little capsule, and I'll be taking that a bit later on." Long term, I guess you're doing a lot of damage to your body. Absolutely. So you're right. People think, okay, I can buy my alcohol Correct. at the groceries and go to the next aisle and just buy, and the, buy them. What I need. It's a balanced act. You know, it works. Um, but, you know, the longer that, that lower esophageal sphincter is exposed to acid, yes. yeah. the higher the likelihood of complications, which, as I said, can yeah. be really quite severe. So really, you do not want uh, no. ongoing prolonged uh, heartburn. It's not good. Now, if someone's using medicine and they're still experiencing discomfort, what would you say to them? They, you've got to go see someone. I say go see a GP who in all likelihood will put you on a high-strength PPI. If that doesn't work, you should be on it for at least four weeks, right? Okay. And really the other trick is that patients don't take this medication properly. PPIs must be taken in the morning at least half an hour before meals okay. with as little water as possible because you want to stimulate those pumps yes. so that by the time the food gets it's there, ready. They're already inhibited, right? And, and, and things like that and lifestyle changes and whatnot. But then once you see a GP and uh, your PPIs for at least four to six weeks at the correct mm -hmm. dose are not yeah. working, then you need to be referred to a gastroenterologist because then we will do investigations, A, to prove good. Because remember, up until now, we've been working on symptoms that are yes. compatible with the diagnosis. Yeah. But there are tests that we can do to say, indeed, you are having exit exposure yeah. uh, and, uh, and then we can take it from there. Then if that's not working, there are other treatment modalities like surgery and, and other things. Let's come back to heartburn during pregnancy. Now, there are ladies listening going, why, Prof, did I get such bad heartburn when I was pregnant? And some women don't get it at all, but uh, it is a, a, I don't want to say a common uh, a symptom what with during a pregnancy, but it's there. Yeah. So it definitely is commoner amongst pregnant women than in the general population. Okay. And really the reasons are multifactorial, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got a growing fetus inside. Yes. It actually compresses your stomach, right. increases the pressure in the stomach, which easily then pushes up the pressure up the LES. That's the one thing. Okay. The second thing you talked about it is progesterones, right? Yes. So progesterones are abundant in pregnancy. And the idea is to relax the uterus for when the baby comes. Yes. But then they relax other muscles. Oh, everything goes. Everything goes. 
literally. Yeah. Everything goes, including the loss of a Joe Sphincter. So it becomes incompetent, yeah. hypotonic, so you can get reflux. Women gain weight as they should during pregnancy. Yeah. That also is a risk factor okay. uh, for the uh, reflux. And sometimes because of the pressure on the gut, um, you might have uh, a hiatus hernia as well, which will contribute to the problem. So there are many reasons why women do get uh, heartburn during pregnancy. And as the pregnancy progresses, mm. The percentage of people that have heartburn actually increases as well. Wow. How's it treated? Very easily. The same lifestyle, you know, factors that I mentioned for any other person. Wow. Plus eating smaller meals rather than large meals. Yeah. Um, trying to eat two to three hours before you lie down or before you go to bed. Um, propping up your bed, you know, where possible because gravity. Yes. It's your friend. <laughs> it's, it's one of the physiological mechanisms, sit right? Up. It's your friend. Sit up. Uh, and those sort of things, not wearing tight clothing, because again, they compress yeah. the abdomen and Absolutely. increase the pressure, etc. So those things are, you know, can be useful. But if they don't work, mm-hmm. it is actually safe for women to use uh, the solutions, the suspensions that we talked about. Yes. Earlier on, there was controversy about whether PPIs are safe or not safe in pregnancy. Okay. And one of them was considered not safe. But actually, there have been very, very large meta-analyses that suggest that they're actually safe. So if right. necessary, yes. you can escalate your therapy to PPIs in a pregnant woman who is not responding to the other measures. So, you know, pregnant women really need not suffer. I mean, Amazing. there's enough going on and other problems. Problems, they can, they can at least, you know, not have the discomfort of the heartburn, which is really quite unpleasant. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Prof, this has again been a, a most insightful podcast, and I hope you've thoroughly enjoyed this, everyone listening. Uh, we will, we want to have the prof back again in the near future. So keep listening to these Health Matters podcasts because I, I, I guarantee you the prof and I've got plenty more to talk about. You are a delight, prof. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Ryan. It's been fantastic to see you all again. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to Health Matters uh, with myself Ryan O'Connor in partnership with Sipla if you are listening on Apple Podcasts remember rate review the show and we'll be back with a brand new episode soon you've just enjoyed Health Matters with Sipla